The year is 1979. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we take you through the whole, whole history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today, only the best and most important and exciting issues. My name's Zach, I'm the comic book newbie, <laughs> alongside Dave, the, <laughs> the founder like and editor of Comic that. Book Herald. Yeah, what? all right, all right. Uh, Dave, who I just found out is actually, his body is actually being possessed by his two-year-old son, Von Doom Busing, which explains... Why his opinions have been so bad this whole time. Oh, man. Wow. You just insulted yeah. me and my son. <laughs> you monster. It's a twofer, yep. <laughs> you absolute monster. That's right. We're here to talk about Marvel Comics of 1979, last year of the decade before we move on to the 80s, which we've been hyping up extensively, maybe hyping up too much. I'm a little nervous now, um, but I'm excited yeah. to get there. We've got some really good comics to talk about today and uh and also we're doing some thor eternal saga <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler there but we're gonna talk about thor we're gonna talk about the eternals we're gonna talk about frank miller welcome to the my marvelous year yes, frank yes, miller yes. i'm peter parker spectacular spider-man and daredevil we're gonna talk about the debut of the black cat in amazing spider-man and finally we're gonna talk about Meow. the only uncanny, the only right? uncanny x-men issues that mattered this year <laughs> uh a big professor x versus shadow king Stupid. arcade and uh, what are we on? On Proteus sagas, some good classic. Shadow King, UXM. Shadow who the hell, King, Shadow yeah. King? Oh, do they not even call him Shadow King in this? We'll talk about that when know. we get there. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about, so no. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Oh, All oh, right. oh, oh, yeah the the Professor X guy. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what most people call him, the Professor X guy. <laughs> well, the, yeah. All you right. can find the comics that we're reading today in the My Marvelous Year show notes. You can find them yes, over yes. on patreon.com slash year, where people support the show. Thank you to all who do. And you can also find them in the Comic Book Herald. That's the site I run. Email newsletter. Zach, any shop talk before we dive into some good reads? No, no. I think we're good to jump in. Let's let's start with Thor. I guess We're we'll going to start with Thor. We're going to start nice and easy. We're going to ease into it. Thor number 283. It's number 286. This is the Eternal Saga. And uh, as you might expect... This one was added to the reading list only this year because of the fact that Marvel, the cinematic universe, has made such a big deal of the Eternals. I did not include the Eternal Saga. I didn't even know about the Eternal Saga when I made the list originally. I included it here for some reference and because I had gotten lots of feedback that clearly everyone had read more than enough Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So, oh, I, I will mention, I read six issues accidentally for this reading list that <laughs> were not actually on this list. I read everything you pulled off the list. Right. So like a Captain Captain America versus Hulk thing. I read the Jim Starlin Ghost Rider, which I do recommend people check yeah, out. Yeah, so that's Ghost Rider 35, which I would, yeah. I would recommend as an addendum for those uh, playing along. And then the last two issues of Tomb of Dracula, which was a, I was a little annoyed that I read Tomb of right. Dracula, but then I read them and they were actually pretty good. Like, were you, you more like or less annoyed after you read Thor? Uh, do you like? Do you wish I had left less... Tomb of Dracula? 
Oh, uh, no. I mean, I guess Thor's Tomb of Dracula would have just said, like, hey, it's Tomb of Dracula. These are pretty good ones. Yeah. You know, like, it. those were actually, those might have been the best Tomb of Dracula we read, but I don't think I had anything particularly interesting to read about, to say about them. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, Thor, at least, it's something new to complain about. Uh, and then and then I, like, for some reason, started reading the complete wrong Spider-Man for this. Oh, so I was, geez. like, in a hurry trying to finish up tonight. And I read, like, Spider-Man 169 or something, which was completely unrelated. It was a good yeah. issue, but it was Spider-Man unrelated. 169. Spectacular Spider-Man, at least? No, no, Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, okay. All right. I at think it's, it's the one where J. Jonah Jameson says he has photographs of Peter Parker, proof that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Uh-huh. And Spider-Man somehow weasels out of it and gets a raise. <laughs> wow. Big day <laughs> pretty for Spidey. Good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so Thor, two, through 80, geez, Thor 283, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is the only good issue <laughs> out of these ones. It start, like the saga starts better than than it progresses into, for yes. sure. Yeah. So we got Roy Thomas writing, your boy is back. I had to bring RT back just for you for at least one more story. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to see many more Roy Thomas written Marvel comics, uh, yeah. at least for a good long while. So like it's it he definitely has that that early seventies Stan Lee vibe going on, I think at this point, where it's like yeah. you're a legend, Roy. You're a legend, right? Like he's a huge name and personality and contributor to the comic book industry, but he's his style and his cadence, it's not really adapting particularly well with the times and actually what he's doing here in 79 is he's playing um he's playing jack kirby influences he's playing off of kirby's eternals which we read in like 76 77 right and he's just like following up on that big time except this time thor's around um which i appreciate that he's doing it it's like you said it starts better than what it becomes yeah i mean roy thomas like has had a kind of a giant career at Marvel in the last decade, you know, and it's like, we respect you, Roy. We, we appreciate what you've done, but you know, it's kind of like, he's, the that Jimmy is not Hoffa. what you've been telling me off. Mike. <laughs> I just want everyone to know. He's you like would not Jimmy Hoffa the in things. the Russell and Russell Buffalino is telling him like, we got nothing respect, but respect for you, but you got to step down. Now you I didn't the, say I just that. watched the Irishman yesterday. I was going to say, so you I'm didn't just... say that in sort of <laughs> a mafioso <laughs> Irish voice. I'm filtering everything I, uh, all analogies in my life now through The Irishman now. It's a movie, it's a movie that's about everything, Dave. It's about life, it's about death, it's about human relationships. Oh boy. And it's real cinema, most importantly. Sounds like a Marvel movie, but I'm Nailed. Uh, yes, it, okay, so I like the first one because half of it is recap, and it's kind of, um, Of the Eternals. No, that comes later. It's a recap of the Ragnarok stuff that's been happening in Thor. Ah, okay, yeah. Because we had this big, like, false Ragnarok in Thor, which is kind of a big mess. I read through some of it, and this does a better job of, like, recapping the whole thing. It's kind of like reading, um, you know, uh, X-Men Grand Design, <laughs> where it's just, like, hitting the, the important plot beats in a really nice, succinct way. Yeah. So, yeah, you get the general idea. There was this kind of Ragnarok, but it wasn't really a Ragnarok, because... What do you call a fake Ragnarok? Is this a setup for a joke? Ragnarok. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, God, threw me off with your... <laughs> oh, right, Stupid okay, joke. yeah. O- Odin set up like a whole big fake Ragnarok, and the consequence of which will matter. The only thing coming out of this that will matter is, one, the Midgar serpent looks like an idiot. Uh, he looks like a big snake with like buttons for eyes, like big red buttons. Looks very dumb. Which is especially and... funny because in the 80s, he's going to look dope. Oh he no, so I know cool. he looks cool later, but he yeah. looks like a like a child like a children's toy now. Um and two, Balder the Brave died 
is the only actual casualty of this fake Ragnarok, but Odin is still keeping his, like, spirit essence alive or something, but he's, like, in stasis right now. Yeah. This will come back later. That's kind of all you really need to know, is that Baldur mostly died, but not quite. <laughs> sure, right. Um, which, for, yeah, which, which for gods which is, of Asgard is, yeah. is meaningful. Right. Um, That's enough context for what we're going to talk about later. But then we get into Thor. I guess Thor also has faced off against the Eternals a thousand years ago and then was made to forget. Yeah, so that was Thor Annual number seven, which I left off this because they recap it uh, fairly regularly and it's a slog. Um, mm-hmm. But it does show him, which I do quite like. Oh, weird. Eternals, a slog? <laughs> exactly. I do quite like the idea of like, yeah, Thor would have met, like the Eternals have this incredibly long history inside the Marvel Universe. So if you're going to do a story set a thousand years ago, which Thor can, it makes sense that he would run across the likes of the Eternals, the Celestials, and the Deviants. I like that aspect to the Eternals. I hope that in their entrance into the MCU, which is like the main thing I want to talk about as we talk about Eternals, is like, what's what are we getting out of this? Like, what seeds are we seeing? What ideas are potentially there? And I think one of them is like, you could do a young Thor in the Eternals story and have that be really fun and have it make a lot of sense. Oh, um, that is... Like, because, I mean, Marvel's got that de-aging thing. Give us, like, a, give us an 18-year-old y- Chris Hemsworth. Or just do Liam. <laughs> just do another Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so... Oh, God, how do I even say what happened? Thor goes to investigate um, a celestial in South America. Mm-hmm. Right? The only thing I'm going to give credit to this whole thing for is that the celestial looks cool. Celestials always very- look very cool. They do a very good job making his scale, like the scale of him, look really imposing. Yeah. Because he grabs an airplane out of the sky and he's like holding it like it's a toy. And yeah. that, like, that is the only part of it that, like, besides that, it's, you know, it's kind of hard. It's like, oh, he's a giant, but I don't really know what that means. Like, that you can't ground that and give it like a real weight to how big he is. But him holding this airplane does a lot for that. <laughs> so, but that's a and very small thing. That's Gamen- the highest Gamen- I have. Oh, does Menomenon. that matter? Do their, do their well, names it kind it only matters to me because one it, because it's a name we've seen before when Kirby is describing the Celestials in his Eternals uh-huh. run, and I do just appreciate the, trying to. It's like um, it's like a Michael Bay Transformers where it's like there's a lot of things smashing right now, and the uh-huh. only one I can tell apart is the yellow one, and I know he's Bumblebee. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right, how yes. Celestials can feel. So <laughs> I appreciate trying to distinguish them. And RT, and, and we should mention John Buscem and Chick Stone on, on Art and Inks, following up on that legacy. Because I, I do think, like, Kirby left Celestials on Earth <laughs> in his in his Eternals run. It makes sense that a series should follow up on that. That's kind of a big deal. It's, I mean, we also could just be. could have never followed up on it, and everyone would be fine. Yeah, but then it'd be a big question. Like, what are they doing? Uh, are they just... So the, the Celestials come to Earth. In Eternals, and it's recapped here in the, in the Thor Eternal Saga, and this is the fourth host, and the fourth host, their deal is they're going to watch Earth for 50 years, and then they're going to judge humanity and Earth to decide whether Earth should live or die. Now, yep. I did, they point this out specifically, It the, the watch time begins in 1976, which is when yeah. Eternals number one came out, which would mean that they're going to judge Earth in 2026, which means yep. the MCU Eternals movie is off by f- five years. <laughs> it really should have come out well, I mean, in 2026. Maybe, I mean, maybe Eternals 2 will actually be the judging. If Eternals 2 is in 2026, 
I will be genuinely very happy about that. That would yes. be a fun little wink. Yeah. Yes. Sir. Oh, I just wanted to point out Joe Rosen is doing lettering here, and he's doing some interesting stuff with lettering that we haven't seen before, mm-hmm. where Odin gets his lettering, uh, his speech bubbles, like, boldened. The actual, like, bubble is bold on the outlines. Uh it's just a little thing, but we haven't seen much, like, playing around with using lettering to different effects. So, like, Odin gets distinguished with his booming voice with uh, with some bold bubbles. I will mention, too, Joe Rosen, brother of Sam Rosen, who we saw throughout familiar. the 60s. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and lettered, okay. you know, so many. I think he lettered a lot of, uh, you know, the good Stan, Steve, Spider-Man stories. So, it's yeah. kind of an interesting connection. Okay, so, I can you, in 45 seconds or less give me the gist of what happened here because i couldn't like yeah Yeah. well and that becomes the problem with this with this whole saga it's just a big wikipedia page right it's a tons of info dumping it's if you read every word in these sagas like you are a more dedicated more patient reader than you should be stop (laughs) 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 it's too much um the the main thing that's happening here is thor encounters the celestials he kind of fights them because uh, the Celestial is putting humans in danger by, for example, grabbing a plane out of the sky. (laughs) And then Thor is basically going on a quest with some of the Eternals. He uncovers the... one of the Eternals and the archaeologist we met way back in the Jack Kirby run, who's like... Yeah, it turns to... Hiding into a pyramid. Right, Ajak is there, this archaeologist is there. One of the people on the plane that was grabbed by the Celestial is a shield agent looking for his missing colleagues... One of the passengers is a deviant in disguise who's like this witchy woman. There's Thor. There's this like there's just so much going on. And it, yeah, they don't set any of it up. It's just like we need to get all these plot pieces moving and they all just need to be happening. But there's like it's completely inelegant. The goal it's just it's kind the of goal mess. essentially is Thor begins working with Eternals like Icarus and Cersei in order to like the first thing they want to do here is um, get the deviants do, on their you side. Mean, Ike Harris. Ike Harris. Which is his, <laughs> his human name. That is some Kirbyism at at its it's best. It's very funny. Um, but he's working with them to get the deviants to be like, hey, we, we're going to need your help here for this, you know, potentially earth-ending cataclysm that the Celestials are trying to bring in. It's honestly like, it's really just Kirby's Eternals V2, but this time Thor's around. Like, it's the same story, yeah. more yeah, or yeah. less, with, with yeah. more or less the same characters. Um, I don't think it does it substantially more interesting i the only real takeaways for me are i like this idea of thorn the eternals having a history i like the same with the deviants um I like, and i also I like really the like the mythology Thor having connecting. this like storied past but that's it i don't care about the eternals or this well maybe the celestials are kind of interesting but i don't care about the eternals having this past i think that's a fun playground to play in that i know that like jason aaron's gonna do where it's just yeah. like Thor, a thousand years ago, like he had adventures then, and we right. can like play with those and then link them to the present day, right? For sure. Like that's a cool playground. This, I mean, this they even they kind of hedged that bet by saying like he had this little adventure and then he forgot it, right? You know. Right. the The biggest problem the Eternals have and will continue to have is every time they show up, they are the least interesting part of their story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm yet to read. An Eternal story where I was really into the actual Eternals or even the Deviants <laughs> for that matter. I mean, Ajax just looks like a goldfish with sunglasses on. Well, He's you know like, what would be you know what would no be potentially more interesting is well, right? They, they don't have a lot of personality, but but they're all based on, or in some cases, like literally the the future of you know like world um, adventurers or gods throughout history. 
Like, I would like it if they took on more of that personality and were yeah. just this weird hodgepodge of mythologies that aren't all just like Roman and Greek gods, like Olympus, well, and, you know? And then, but they're not even those people. That's the frustrating part. That's that's what drives me up a wall. Like, Zeus is, that, is like, not actually Zeus because we actually have Zeus in Olympus. But uh, like, they have Hecate, like, and you know, I don't know, Icarus and Ajax. But we get to the end of this issue and they're like, where to next? We must go to Olympia. And someone's like, Olympus, where Zeus and the Greek gods live? And they're like, no, Olympia. It's a different place. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Well, why? Yeah. Why is it a different place? (laughs) Yeah. It's it's one of the most challenging parts. I think if you are, I don't know, like who, who is the audience here that you would super recommend? I guess if you're just super into like, I just have to read everything about the Eternals before this movie comes out because I'm really curious. That's why we include it. Um, but I it's doubt just they're gonna. They're it's gonna not gonna win you over. Space, you know. No, I. I mean, the the. I think the MCU is too smart to do something like this. I think right? it's gonna like, be very different. I do. No, I mean, I, I. The only thing I really know, and I'm not even sure how confirmed this is, is that like the Eternals are gonna be a bunch of people who don't know they're the Eternals. I think is the idea. Yeah, they're a bunch of like immortal beings who forgot it or something like that. I uh-huh. think that's the the gist of the movie. Well, that's how Kirby begins as well. Yeah, that's why he's going well, by Ike Harris. Oh, is that? I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, God, it's it's already gone out of my brain. Or they're like okay. in hiding. I don't. It's not a huge yeah. winner. I think if you read it and you have thoughts on the Eternals, where they could and go. You don't I, like the Neil Gaiman update either. It's fine. I I don't have a huge desire to read it again. Does um, it like I actually this or does it continue this story? Um, it it modernizes Kirby's work a bit, and it also connects to like the, at the time present day Marvel in a in a okay. way that is yeah. Uh, I don't know. It like it makes the Eternals players in some other stories for a little bit here I and there. I feel like I remember just kind of like buzzing around the last two, like two or three years ago. There was all kinds of celestial talk going on. I don't know. I'm like I'm not reading modern modern Marvel comics, but like I do think I the remember... Celestials' role in Marvel is very interesting, especially their role in Marvel Cosmic scene. Um, and like you get hints of that in these stories when they talk when they're doing sort of the exposition dumps and they're talking about like. Yeah, mankind was straight up started by celestial experimentation and stuff like that. That stuff is very big. Like, why? How? Why are humans the way they are? And why do humans exist? And why do superheroes exist in this universe? And like tying that to celestials is is kind of interesting and definitely big on like the cosmic scene. So if you're into that stuff, I mean, like, there's the thing is, it doesn't good play history. in that space. It just says it once. You know, it just is like it's not the focus. What if humans were created by uh, some big people? Right. And then like it's dropped there, and that's the th- you know it doesn't explore that idea. It doesn't like do anything with it. Right. And I would it's, sort of like know. it maybe if the Eternals were more if they were actually more like the pawns of the Celestials more directly. Like communicating with them to the point that yeah, the, the celestials, celestials were actually more like, of the focus. They're just kind of a big mystery, but not an interesting mystery. You know, like I don't really. They're care literally they're a big to. mystery. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, but I it, don't, not in a way that I'm end. like intrigued and I want to find out more because there's not enough there. You know, you got to give me give me something. Give me something, RT. Yeah, I'd agree. So let's move into the next story. Um, this is Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, number twenty-seven to twenty-eight, and the reason we read. These two issues of PPSSM is uh, written by Bill Mantlow with art, guest art, by Frank Miller. Now, Frank Miller, 
big old name in comic books. He's coming out to the Marvel scene here in 79. We're going to see him uh, with a fantastic Daredevil run coming up throughout the 80s. Probably most famously, the writer and artist of The Dark Knight Returns, one of my faves. And just like, you know, you're going to find it on any best of superhero graphic yeah, novelist yeah, yeah. anywhere you look, right? So Frank Miller is a big deal. Uh, unfortunately, um, he did stop making comics, I think, right after like Dark Knight <laughs> Returns. He has he is going through a little bit of a redemption. He is actually, fair. yeah. Like he he's put out some maybe not great, but some like B plus work lately. Like he just did uh, what is it, Superman Year One? Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? Yeah. And like it's okay. It's not it's nothing to like really write home about, but it's a very readable Superman comic that isn't like that doesn't make you cringe with its like racial politics. Sure, <laughs> you know? right? And he and Frank right. has done some of that. So like, there's there's obviously like with someone of his profile, there's a lot of history and and how he's sort of um revealed himself in modern day but right now we're talking about him i, I in think 79. most people just say 9-11 completely shattered his mind <laughs> is the yeah the, that's probably yeah, yeah. and he, probably and he, he maybe has been putting it back together lately okay so take a take a stab uh, so I don't, I don't actually think these uh frank miller penciled spider-man issues are like that hot but i'm gonna like pour all kinds of sugar over his daredevil work pretty soon like yeah i love these how old do you think he was when he did these Ooh. I don't really have a good concept of that. I'm going to guess like 24. Oh, 21. 21. Wow. That's Wild. pretty amazing. Yeah. Really? really. So I, I looked up his history a little bit because I wanted to know. He uh he really got his start because of Neil Adams. He like showed up. He found Neil Adams and brought him like a book of sketches. He had no like formal education. And Neil Adams hmm. like critiqued his work, gave him some lessons and like kind of got him his first gigs, which is pretty interesting. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. 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 And I, I do and like. You, you can kind of see that, like Neil Adams' Batman work and Miller's Batman work kind of working in parallel tracks later. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. Definitely an influence. And I, I do like on um, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider Man. So the, the hook of this story is it's a Spider Man Daredevil team up. And the as we begin the story, Spider Man is blind as the result of some, you know, attack. So he's blind. He's throwing all sorts of highly offensive commentary about this at daredevil for example i'd rather be dead than blind <laughs> i mean to be fair he doesn't know he's speaking to a blind guy yeah right? he and doesn't so, like, he's not aware i guess but daredevil's and, basically and it, helping and it's him okay. get through I, it. I think it's actually okay like he just went blind because you know he got zapped i think it's fine for him to be very mad about it yeah there's a like, part of me give, that's give like me you know it's going to be cause... undone so i'm so i'm i'm like pete like you're being a dick but actually He's reacting extremely emotionally, which maybe is is more appropriate given what has happened to him and what he's trying to adjust to. Um, he's also trying to stop a crime. <laughs> he's trying to stop all sorts of a bomb droid and a bird droid. We got all sorts of droids out here trying to uh, oh, wreak havoc. You, you know, the, the three genders of robot, which is bomb, humanoid, and bird. And bird. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And the saga is, you know, Daredevil is the calm, cool, collected uh, hero here who is is working with Pete and guiding him through this. Basically, just trying to be like, you know, lean on your spider sense, lean on your your other senses. Like you can still do things, um, and and you know, trying to so, trying to prevent this terrible thing from happening. So I think I think that stuff is okay, right? Like I think that is interesting enough. The like Spider Man blind and Daredevil being his um his like mentor through it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marauder stuff and the Bomb stuff is like absolutely dire. 
Like, it doesn't matter at all, because it's like, he's trying to set off a nuclear bomb in the shape of a bird in the middle of Manhattan, and like, right. never for a second do you believe that this is an actual threat, <laughs> you know? It, like, it's if, so the, if the authorities won't hand over the city to the Magia, of all things. Yeah, um, whatever. <laughs> so, it's a very convoluted, very um, throwaway villain plot. I think, yeah, like, the story is, the story itself is a very forgettable affair, but then you throw in the creative talent, and it becomes retroactively interesting i think is the main so, hook here you know what this underlined for me is how really tired i am of how much they're still clinging to the secret identity thing because of everyone i mean what yeah right with all the superheroes specifically with each other right like, yeah right the fact that it it runs so deep that every hero is like like captain america has a secret identity that no one else in the avengers knows you know it's like it's just absurd yeah but besides like it being a little silly it keeps it keeps us from getting better character moments and like good character development in real moments of humanity because well, and the I've entire always... oh go ahead well this these through this whole issue like Daredevil has to pretend not to be blind <laughs> right so like yeah all they're playing with is some dramatic irony right like uh, Peter Parker at one point says something like once he gets the hang of his blind blindness and he yeah. starts like beating up some guys he goes hey maybe i'm the world's first blind superhero <laughs> right <laughs> which is right. just a good joke but the the like emotional core of this how much better would this be if daredevil could like daredevil revealed that he himself was blind and that's how he walked him through it instead of daredevil constantly saying like oh, i must hide my own blindness and you know not really reveal that i know what this is like blah 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 right yeah like, it's just such a boring, old, tired, dramatic contrivance now. And, and we've like, talked about it a fair amount. I definitely like the modern version where Spider-Man and Daredevil have had so many run-ins together and know each other's secret identities that they're like, they have very firmly established character dynamics. And we right, know yeah. how they get along or don't get along, right? Like, I like, I really like that um, that relationship. And you just, you can't get that when they're both, they both, or you can get a little bit of it, but when they only know each other's costumed version, it's not quite the same, you know? Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, because I think we're just getting to the point where, like, where's the new story to tell about someone needing to protect their identity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's getting harder to harder, harder and harder to wring some kind of fresh viewpoint out of that, right? Well, so that's, that actually is going to lead pretty neatly into Daredevil, because there is a thread here that will continue to be pulled, about Daredevil's identity being exposed. And interestingly enough, th it starts it starts here, you know, it, like it, there's been other yeah, hints yeah, yeah, at it. Been, been but there sort. this is going to be a thing for Daredevil almost more almost more than any other Marvel hero. Um that I can think of off the top of my head, the idea of his identity being found out and then actually dealing with the repercussions of that in a way that like like Peter Parker is more scared of his identity being found out, and it has been. Like, and he's good reason to, right? Like, when when Norman Osborn figures out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, he comes to his house <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in what and is it, 66, 67. Yeah. He kills Gwen Stacy, right? Like, Peter has great reason to think, I need to protect my secret identity. But Daredevil actually has a lot of stories that are going to get played out where people figure out his identity, and, like, some of his best stories come out of that. In the pages of Daredevil 160 and 161, it's a subplot, but we have the Daily Bugle journalist, Ben Urich, uh, who is pretty clearly piecing together. He's trying to prove it, but he's piecing together that Matt Murdock and Daredevil are the same person. Um, and I, I think it's interesting. You're talking about secret identities. Like, that's a really nice subplot and thread running through what are otherwise 
very good issues. I was actually a little surprised how much I enjoyed these again because I tend yeah. to think of Frank Miller's not writing Daredevil at this point. So no, who, Roger who McKenzie's scripting. Yes. Yes, yes. We got Daredevil or we got Frank Miller and is it Klaus Janssen <laughs> yet on Yes, on it's Klaus Janssen. Klaus Janssen. So Klaus Janssen, Janssen and Frank Miller are doing in incredible work together it's like, amazing the, the how much of a difference of jansen's two. inks make actually it is jan because I, I was looking at it and i was like you know it, it's not just the drawings because the drawings are great yeah and i think like his pencils are great but the inking like the inking here is so good like he's doing so much work um i don't know just drawing your eye exactly where it needs to go with the color contrast right mm-hmm. you know like the important things pop and the stuff that needs to fade into the background, like he kind of gives, he's working with all kinds of interesting color palettes. And it's, it, it, it really, it um, contrasts really nicely with Frank Miller's like somewhat sketchy style. Right, is right. that the, uh, the inking is like really nice and clean. Yeah, there's a roughness really... to Miller's style that yeah. I, it, a lot of times I think when it's people's, when it's like one of the first times you're looking at comic art, it can feel um, underdeveloped maybe. Uh, yeah. it, and it's almost like it's, it's not as flashy. Or, 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 you know, pops as much necessarily as, like, traditional comic book art. But I think what's very interesting is there's a kinetic energy to it. And Miller does that. He's very good at panel layout. I think there's... Oh, my you God. You mentioned Neil it's, Adams as an influence. I think, like, yeah. Jim Starlin's work is probably, like, one that we've seen. The ability to smush panels into weird sizes, right? To show, frequently, to show Daredevil silhouetted versions actually, like giving you the action and sort of the the ballet of Daredevil's, you know, like displays through the city in a way that I've seen John Byrne do a fair amount in like mm-hmm. Iron Fist and Uncanny, but not a ton of creators do so effectively. Not like this. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone is doing... Uh, the, the, the only thing I could think of to compare it to is just, it feels like Marvel and it's starting to like figure out editing, right? In the way that like uh, comparing it to film editing. Right. So it's Mm. like a good film, you know, will like have formal choices that just make scenes flow. Right. Someone turns their head and looks off camera. And then when the camera cuts, it's clearly like from their point of view, what they're looking at. Yeah. And you just feel comfortable being like taken step by step along the story that the director wants to take you on or the editor. Sure. And Frank Miller's art is doing that so well where it's just like, you know, he shows Daredevil in the background and the foreground is a note pinned to the wall. And that leads seamlessly into Daredevil pulling the note down from the wall, right? Like, right. You're, he's leading your eye page by page and panel by panel exactly where he wants you to go. Like, there's this um, really cool page. I think it's the beginning of the second issue where we're seeing, I think it's uh, it's like down by the docks. And it's all in this dark blue color palette. And it's punctuated by these perfect circles of white light or like mm-hmm. just yellowed light of the, the street lights, like going down the the street and it's like kind of weird how like they're patterned out and they're the only bright spot on this panel and then it cuts to a man running in the middle of one of those zoomed way in right and it's like setting that scene and giving you a weird little visual marker and then immediately zooming in on it and it's like he's always kind of leading your eye and like setting you up for the next panel and it's it's incredible work and also Mackenzie is giving him room to breathe there are several completely wordless panels here where he's just like take this panel and just have a fight scene just have some action you know yeah it's it's i don't know it, it blew me away i really wasn't expe- expecting like i remembered liking daredevil uh the frank miller stuff on daredevil before and um this was like yeah even better than i remember i do I, yeah i do think the era where miller's not writing and drawing because we're about two years away from that 
like in 81, we're going to get, okay, yeah, this take, is quote unquote Frank Miller's I, Daredevil. I looked at that for a while. I mean, also like yeah, it's they like just 20 started collaborating. Like how, how was, how is this, this good when like he just started collaborating with this brand new comic artist? Well, Sorry, and it so quickly becomes, it becomes the Daredevil that we've always wanted and and knew we were going to get to it like and it just so is. instantly becomes it yeah it's <laughs> it, i do think like mckenzie's I, scripting is underrated here like yeah, his ability to uh, just the the threads and the plots that are playing out here so let, let's back it up and actually talk plot for a second yeah sure the issue begins with bullseye capture attacking and capturing black widow in order to draw daredevil out he knows that black widow and daredevil have a sort of burgeoning romance developing um, this scene, it's like, so it's Bullseye breaking out of prison. He comes, he comes for Black Widow, who is not defenseless. You know, I think there's an argument to be made here that, like, you'd like to see Black Widow a little less damsel and distressy because she is a certified Avenger here. But she does fight for her life. She gets some yeah, shots seen, in on Bullseye, you know. I, I, I had that same thought of, you know, like, oh, it's too bad she's just the kidnap victim. But you're right that she also gets a few moments of, like, really holding her own right she well she gets moments when here. she's quote-unquote rescued as well like she is a, she is at least contributing to the rescue once daredevil finally tracks her down yeah, 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 i she... i think our our modern idea of black widow would be like this is a thing she could handle on her own you know maybe but i you know what i think they do a good enough job of making her seem competent enough that establishes bullseye as a serious threat yeah. right like because she doesn't like just cave in like she puts up a good fight and you feel that like oh okay she's you know a competent fighter and then bullseye still beats her out so like it, it doesn't feel like they just kind of hamstring her just for dramatic effect the thing it amps up hate... bullseye as a real threat which is a big oh a big he, thread of this like run. how is he so he's like the creepiest villain we've had in marvel maybe like he's up there with thanos already in my mind <laughs> where it's just like <laughs> i am so riveted by this character yeah he is such a threat and he doesn't have superpowers he's good at throwing things like how is he this good? well i mean they there's a manic psychosis to his yeah. character that and is they make him so kind of unparalleled and he, he's just so he just like yeah he'll kill you like there's just yeah. no second I mean, that thought shot to of it. him like he wraps a phone cord around black widow's neck yeah he's it's just, pretty like, brutal strangling it's yeah it's very effective yeah. and, and then like later daredevil throws his club at him he grabs it and then just throws it back at him and knocks him down with it yeah and then just starts beating him with it like oof it's i mean it, it's genuinely like thrilling stuff i will say I, uh, anytime there are baseballs left around bullseye and he just starts <laughs> whipping them it's like candy you need to it's just, like sugar-coated candy oh my gosh yeah. yeah god i mean i have to bleep this out but the time in uh kevin smith's daredevil where bullseye throws <laughs> at daredevil yeah is like one of my favorite moments in comics ever <laughs> like what an inc- oh so that's cool. that goofy badass sort of stuff that's like oh i love pretty that great yeah, yeah. Um, so the, I was going to say, the thing I don't like about Black Widow here is that they're still kind of clinging to that thing where it's like, she's a cursed Black Widow, so death follows her everywhere she goes, which is like, you need to drop that stat. Like, hmm. that is so boring, and like, just just do away with that. Yeah, there's certainly not a lot of, of Black Widow character development going into this. Um, I well, do no, think, they, too, they like... Talk, I mean, I think they, they try to bring in some Black Widow character development, but it's it's all about this thing where she's like, you know, everyone she loves dies. You know, like the spider, the Black Widow. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta just separate the, the, the namesake stuff from her. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's just... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just char- not character development that is interesting to me. Good, yeah. Um, <laughs> there are some... <laughs> there are some romantic... Like, who Daredevil's romantic interest stuff 
going on here that's kind of not going to be super essential to us but like the the scene begins with daredevil with his girlfriend heather visiting her father's grave um and then like basically you know there's some falling out all building to him being like hey i should go find uh, natasha <laughs> we get along a little bit better and then that's how he find bullseye's note saying i call you out come get your girl um what else is happening here? Uh, I I think that's mostly it. When Daredevil does confront Bullseye, oh, it's one of the great, it's kind of a thing that's like yeah, it's a great showdown. They always they always have fantastic fights, but the the arch nemesis like back and forth between Daredevil and Bullseye, it always has this undercurrent of Bullseye being absolutely terrified of Daredevil because Daredevil whoops his butt so bad so many times, and it's kind of fascinating. Like right, we so- don't have a lot of arch enemies who feel that way and bullseye has daredevil dead to rights he has a gun trained on him and daredevil's like i can't get to him in time i need to bluff him and daredevil like just is like you can't do it you're gonna miss i'm gonna get you and like psychs him out and then bullseye totally crumbles under that and it's it's a cool moment and like a million times cooler than just he beats him up you know like how much cooler is this that daredevil psychs him out well and it ties into the daredevil thing that really has not been relevant for the character's history the man without fear exactly absolutely like he's okay he's the man without fear and others are deeply fearful of him including bullseye right so that that aspect is finally getting brought into play i i had a great time reading these two issues um i would say if you dig these as well definitely continue with the Mackenzie and miller era of daredevil we're gonna read a decent chunk of it shot up to like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have to check out all these like that we're not reading yeah, we're, there's a lot that we're not going to cover on the main lists um, just because of time. But, like, <clears throat> you know, keep going with it. It's a, it's a interesting he run, does, and the, it's good. The next run is, the next arc is him fighting the Hulk, which I am a little suspicious of. <laughs> yeah, but right. We'll see. Um, All right, I just so let's do, do... to interrupt oh, go that ahead. Marvel Unlimited sent me a uh, notification about, like, check out what's new, and I just glanced at it. There is so much Alpha Flight in this week's edition <laughs> to Marvel Unlimited. Uh Alpha Flight just got a facsimile edition, which I will have to pick up at my shop this week. Yeah. Or Alpha okay. Flight number one. And then they added Alpha Flight, uh, X-Men Alpha Flight from 1998. Two issues of that. Yeah, that I have not read. I did see that getting added this month. Let's take a moment here for a quick interlude. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, let's, <laughs> uh, should we have a fun little name for this? Like, like the McElroys do the money zone, which I hate, um, but we're going to have the cash place. The cash place. That's, yeah, no one will. That's, no that's one will better. And yeah, what about my the, moneyless year? The monetary plead. My monetary year? My monetary year. <laughs> let's do that. That's good. Okay. Um, okay, let's do it. The okay, year is 2019. With my Patreon funding from you is Alpha Flight Facsimile Edition number one. Please. Everyone give me $1 and I will buy one copy of Alpha Flight. I think they're, a, no, they're $2 a piece. They're pretty cheap. Those facsimile editions. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone give me $2, please, because I need. What are you, are you just asking for money? <laughs> what? Are you just asking for money? Yeah. This is separate of the Patreon. Uh, can, if you want to send it uh, through PayPal. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, ju- yeah. Just shoot me a, uh, an email. I'll give you my PayPal. Okay, so Zach's privately requesting <laughs> some funds. Uh, in the meantime, My Marvelous Year does have a Patreon. It's where fantastic listener support comes in. You can go on over to patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. It is the only way 
the podcast is supported financially currently, and we greatly appreciate those of you who contribute. If you do contribute, there are various tiers that will get you different benefits, like uh, access to voting in our polls, access to the reading lists, uh, update email that Zach sends out, extra issues with Zach sends out with picks for uh, you know, bonus stuff that we didn't get to on the podcast. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. Extra issues is dead as a doornail. You always mention like, oh, I'll have to check that out for extra issues. You I don't, mean, I, you I don't send a, out comics? I people? make a list now that goes into the spreadsheet, but I don't do the uh, the newsletter. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I don't send out pictures. You lying fink. I didn't say you sent no, out I, pictures. You just, you literally just did. I said, no, you listen, did. You it's not good when it's recorded <laughs> and I'm trying to say I didn't say something. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I, I make a list of like uh, of extra issues that is like important or like landmark issues. In, it's mostly introductions of other characters. So I just kind of like, skim through and see like, you know, what other characters are getting introduced in which comics we don't read. And I, I make a big list of those. And they're part of the spreadsheet that you can get access to for five bucks as well as the Slack. And drum roll, please. This is the first episode, My Ultimate Year, which is the Patreon exclusive show where we cover ultimate line of marvel comics that's right so, so that'll go out to patrons point, uh six months ahead of the regular public so if you're interested yeah, yeah. in doing the ultimate universe read-along that is the best way to do so thank you very much for those of you who are supporting if you can't support at this time or simply don't want to please uh consider rating and reviewing the podcast on itunes or as always just continue listening to my marvelous year and tell your friends any and all support is greatly appreciated thanks everybody and back to zach begging then Back to the well, show. No, you have to tell people what you're going to buy with your Patreon money. With my Patreon money this month. They want to make sure your money is going to something worthwhile. And yeah, not yeah. Like I bought uh, beard cream in... and conditioner. And, oh, there was one other sort of healthcare beauty thing that I got. Oh, facial moisturizer for night. Gets a little chilly here in Chicago. Face gets a little Ooh, dry. Yeah. Got to get some lotion going. Yeah, but the but beard conditioner I'm most excited about because I know all of you are very... Zach gets upset every time I shave. And if I want to keep this beard going, I got to condition, guys. These things get itchy. Especially I got some winter. beard oil, but it makes me itchy because I think I'm allergic to the, uh, the perfumes. <laughs> Sounds like a good thing to put on your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I insist on putting it on because it smells like tobacco and I'm a man. You put but, beard uh, oil on on your quote unquote beard? Well, I did when I before I shaved. No, this this is not worth it. Oh, OK. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, like you know, I, you know what? Now that you say that, I also buy lotion with uh, my Patreon money. So that that is what you are buying with this Ugh. week's Patreon money. You are buying your two favorite boys all the lotion they need. Gross. You're so gross. <laughs> All right, back to the show. Next yep. up, Amazing Spider-Man number 194 to 197. This is the debut of the Black Cat, a.k.a. Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. a shockingly popular and enduring Spider-Man character who very easily could have just been listed as like, hey, it's a Catwoman ripoff, but has really become oh, her own such thing. such a Catwoman ripoff, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that anyone's arguing that, but like... Black Cat is very much her own character, and she has a solo series at Marvel right now. That's wild, and it's doing fairly well. I don't know what she brings that Catwoman doesn't do. Um, oh, they're I pretty different. Any, yeah, I haven't read any Catwoman from the Sultry so thieves. Really them. Um, they have you know romantic relationships with they're their partners, of, but also they're not they're exactly villainous. villains. They're a little anti-heroish. I would say, hmm, this isn't the conversation we're going to have. But if you said who's had a more interesting 2010s, Black Cat or Catwoman, that's actually kind of hard to answer. Oh, really? I know Catwoman has had like lots of stuff going on. She's definitely had series, more publicity. But, like, but the stuff that yeah, happened yeah. with Black Cat during, for example, Superior Spider-Man 
is like an interesting attempt. I don't know that it ever really panned out. My vote goes to Selena. But anyway, we're just at the debut here in yeah. 1979. Black Cat debuting in 194. This is uh this is the Black Cat origin story, you know, more or less. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it is she debuts on the scene as a very capable, competent thief. When she is apprehended by Spider Man, she throws oh him God. off from capturing her by smooching it's, him. It's really fun. Like, yeah. I really like, yeah, no, I think I really like her in general, and a large part of that is the way that, like, she's very competent, like, at fighting and running around and, you know, gymnastics and all this, but also, like, I mean, she's not as strong as Spider-Man, she's not as quick as Spider-Man, but she keeps outwiling him by, like, just being a little more cunning than him, you know, like, she literally just flusters him with a smooch and then yeah. escapes, and it's so funny, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and later on, she, like, she plays possum. And he's like, oh, no, did I hurt you? And then she just immediately, like, roundhouse kicks him. I love any time and Black breaks Cat his does arm, exactly like... <laughs> that, which is fake out Peter Parker, right? Like, and she, because she's kind of ruthless. Yeah, like you said, like, she straight up breaks his arm, you know? Like, she's not actually holding back, but he always, always does the thing where he's like, oh, no, did I hurt you? Oh, no, like, oh, you just want to smooch? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let my guard down for a moment. <laughs> and she yeah. gets him every time. It's hilarious. It's like, uh, you know, Jim Parmesan in Arrested Development. And just how delighted <laughs> right, Lucille just... <laughs> Bluth is. That's how that's how Spider-Man acts every time Black Cat shows up. Except for screaming, he just like goes bright red. Uh, yeah, yeah. And freezes in place. <laughs> yeah. Um. So oh, speaking of Peter Parker romance, let's talk about. There's a bunch of stuff going on here. Both. Yeah. Apparently, apparently he's no longer with Mary Jane. That seems relevant. But, well, in Spectacular Spider-Man, he was dating both of them at the same time, and then he broke up with MJ or something. Uh. Yeah. He, Oh, no, I didn't say who the other person was. Betty Brandt. He's dating Betty Brandt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's back. Kind of, because, he was, yeah, he was married to Ned Leeds, and she left him and came to Peter Parker, who also isn't really want, he doesn't really want to date her, but he's not dating Mary Jane anymore. Yeah, so there's there's a whole, like, love quadrangle going on. I mean, uh, the big thing that comes out of it, the Betty thing was never going to stick, um, but, no, like, by the MJ end of and it, Pete are on the lamp. which is which is kind of going to be a recurring thing. Like, they, they have a pretty on-again, off-again history the two of them i mean the, mary jane even drops that peter parker proposed to her and then she was just like nah not ready yet right and he and does reference being jilted it. by her which presumably here means uh, her not accepting the engagement which i don't think jilted really means that but that's what he says. yeah i don't know yeah so uh they're split up at the moment which is like a little bummer but it also lead leaves things open for him to be with black cat which gotta say pretty sexy pretty sexy you know what you know what does it for me it's all the fur on her like, please ankles tell and me wrists. it's all Gosh, that fur. you love fur that, all you that white fur. love fur I'm pretty into it yeah white wig white fur you're in yeah, yeah. in pretty... baby wait is that a wig is the wig white i thought she huh? just had white hair uh I thought she had white hair in my head it's a wig but i'm thinking of spider-man the animated series for sure so i can't 100 yeah. percent say if that's a wig i am it's a real out. tail though i am out felicia <laughs> No wigs allowed. Yeah, so Felicia's big plan here uh, is she is trying to break what we are going to learn is her dad out of prison, Walter Hardy, famous thief back in the day. She wants to bust him out so that he can uh, die comfortably at home with his family. And so, it, you know, it's kind of doing, like we said, the Catwoman thing here where Felicia, yes, she's a thief. Yes, she's quote unquote a spidey villain, but her motivations here are family based, are 
love-based, even though she's busting into a prison. You know what I mean? So it's like breaking the law, but breaking the law with, you know, a heart, I suppose, is kind of what she's doing. And all of that builds to her actually getting her dad out of prison, uh, bringing him home, and the apparent death of her father, Walter Hardy, (laughs) at home. No, the apparent death of the black cat, which it's like they're fighting in the city. Well, if you fall into water, you're as good as dead. (laughs) I've always thought. But the thing is, like, they're in the city. And I I look back because I was like, did I miss this transition? Because Uh they go from being the city to being in, like, an old mansion on a hill with, like, a a lake at the base of it. But skyscrapers in the background. And, like, she falls off this building into a lake. And he's like, no one could have survived falling into those rocky shoals. Yeah. Where are you right now? (laughs) I don't understand (laughs) where this is taking place. Um, So Peter Parker... I think Black Cat's fine. There's a couple fun moments here. There's some good JJJ moments. We're almost 200-ish. Oh, we forgot. There's this whole subplot about Aunt May. She's in, like, a convalescence home. And the guy who killed Uncle Ben is, like, running a con at the nursing home and needs Peter Parker to, like, not pay that much attention to Aunt May. Like, clearly she has something he's looking for. Like it's implied that like maybe there's something under her house or something. He needs Peter Parker out of the way. So Peter Aunt Parker May is so independently issues. wealthy and has no idea about it. It's <laughs> yeah right yeah because I mean at one point what she owned like the property to uh, uh, the islands that Doctor Octopus blew up a nuclear bomb on and survived. She owned an island with a nuclear reactor on it. Yeah right. Nuclear. Right. Nuclear. Anywho, yeah that that subplot's wild. It all kind of builds to I mean, she, uh, at, also at the, the apparent death dead, of Aunt May. Right? We see her dead in a coffin, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter Parker spends an issue dealing with Aunt May having passed away and blaming himself. Like, why can't I save the ones I love? You know, but it's like she didn't you know, die of nine... she didn't die of Spider Man related violence. We she, should she point was out a, she had a heart attack at ninety. Like, so we're... if you read these issues and you thought like, oh, that's how Aunt May died. I wouldn't blame you because that's definitely how the story goes. And also it's like, yeah, she's a thousand years old and she has been since she debuted. <laughs> I can't it, wait like, till she, she can't just live drops forever. like 30 years uh, pretty soon and becomes like a spry 61. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So back to what I was going to say. Anime subplot. There's also a Robbie Robertson sticking up for Spider-Man oh, and yeah, yeah, recognizing yeah. that J. Jonah is, is just obsessed in a way that he just can no longer put up with. And he finally puts his foot, uh, foot down and says, I'm out of here and jonah is completely bewildered because now we got peter parker has left the daily bugle at this point and he is taking photos for the crosstown rival uh what is it is it the daily globe daily bulletin no 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 uh oh shoot we we get two really good um like human moments here one jjj realizing that he drives everyone away and the scene ends with him being like you know i put up all these walls around me maybe it's time to break down the walls but I don't think I can. And that's how the scene ends. And it's a really like, it's a, yeah. it's a really like morose note to end that scene on. I like what Robbie um, brings out in JJJ, you know, yes. just that, that sort of friendship, a, but also like animosity that the two have, you know, it's, I it mean, he's really kind of well. his conscience on his shoulder a bit for sure. And th- for sure. And then Robbie gets a really nice moment down. He happens to bump into Peter Parker. Who's like sulking in the fog at the, at the end of a dock. Yeah. Um, he bumps into Peter Parker and talks to him, like, Peter Peter thinks that Aunt May's dead, which, I, I guess, yeah, sorry, I guess future people, Aunt May is not dead. <laughs> We're gonna find out later. Um, if this was the, uh, yeah, it's not it super spoilery to say, people, we just sort of ended, is... well, we gotta apologize to the future generation. <laughs> to, to the future people. I think that's fair. This sorry podcast to people who last. have not read the future comics, is what I meant to say with that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, if this was a bigger, like, death of thing, we definitely wouldn't be so spoilery. Uh, we just yeah. sort of happened to end 
at a at an odd time in this run. Yeah, but go on. Oh yeah. So, but Robbie has a nice moment, like talking to Peter Parker and connecting to him about how he lost a son who was six months old. Yeah. And it is, and again, it's like a very nice moment about how, like, how we move on and how we deal with loss. And that one actually really works. hit. Like, like yeah, that no, stuff can very, be kind of contrived. And I was like, I was, I was reading it word for word. I was like, oh man, Robbie, I had no idea. Like, this is yeah. this is yeah, really yeah, sad. Despite my praise of both the Black Cat and those moments, I think Peter Parker like needs a real shot in the arm. Like Amazing Spider-Man, because right now we have three Spider-Man comics going at once. We've got Amazing Spider-Man, Peter yeah. Parker's Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, and Marvel Team Up, right? Mm-hmm. Is Team Up him? Okay. Um, yeah, and like, if it's feeling like it's getting a little stagnant, because like Peter, if these were if these were Amazing Spider-Man happen- ninety-four to ninety-seven, these would be yeah. all-timers. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Yep, yep, sure. Yep. They're, They're really, good. really good for that time. But like you said, it's been. You know, we're in 1979. We've got almost 20 years of this. I've seen Peter Parker get angry and petulant so many times at this point. We've also seen Aunt May almost die so many times at this point. So many times. You know, and like things don't work out for him and he kind of throws a little bit of a fit and he lashes out at the world. He blames himself, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, needs to protect his identity. He snaps at his friends because things aren't going well etc like i've just i've seen all seen all this a lot the villains like we haven't seen a new villain th- oh actually <laughs> it's not really true carrion came in at the end of uh t- spectacular spider-man 28 and he was pretty yeah. cool oh let me yeah. let me spoil carrion for people because i please I do assume people are not going to keep going but carrion is a clone of dr miles warren the guy yeah. who made all the clones earlier yep. who dr warren cloned himself and like left it in a vat to grow, and then when he got killed, the clone in the vat just sat there and like rotted, and then came out for vengeance, which is pretty cool and pretty creepy. And Carrion like is kind of creepy, but also I think he gets killed in a couple issues, and then he leaves lots him. of very threatening messages in the apartment of Peter yeah, Parker. Yeah, yeah, those, saying, those are the like, best part about him, I guess. Yeah, he's he's very he's got a very um horror movie killer kind of vibe. I do actually the concept oh, he, there, like you said, he's the Miles got, he's Warren got a purse just thing. like the Green Goblin, though. He's carrying around a little like side duffel bag. Exactly. If you don't like have a side Goblin duffel is. as a villain, what are you even doing? You got to carry your stuff in a little duff. <laughs> Villains Guild Code, baby. All right. So anywho, yes, I, think I think these are actually good issues, but yeah. I do agree with you that that amazing is a little stuck. I think it's in a very similar, and we've talked about this a bunch throughout the seventies. Like now that we're getting close to the eighties, AMS and FF are stuck. And they need to get out of it with something new. I do think FF's going to do that. Actually, we're going to yeah, talk about in part two yep. a little bit about how it starts to. Um, AMS is a little less of a certain thing, although there will be interesting stuff here and there. I mean, I'm looking forward to Madam Web. I really remember remembering liking her and thinking that she was like a cool, weird twist into the Spider-Man formula. There's, There's less like... Madam Web than you'd hope. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's next year. There's a, I remember there's a really good Madam Web Juggernaut issue that I thought was like so much fun. That's that's but, nothing can stop the Juggernaut. Let's see when are we reading that? Um, that's probably going to be eighty one would be my guess. Nope, doesn't look like it. Anywho, we'll figure that out. But yes, yeah, that is a common. That's in nineteen eighty two, so we'll be there pretty soon. Nothing can stop the Juggernaut. That's an all time classic. In the meantime, anything else you want to say about Amazing Spider Man before we move on to Uncanny? Oh, I was waiting for you to like. I That's was a no. My breath, waiting for you to say uncanny <laughs> X Men, <laughs> not no, just no, uncanny. Just uncanny X Men. Nope. Uh, oh, I do want to start out saying today, November twenty fifth. Happy mm-hmm. birthday, Dave Busing. Happy Thank birthday, you. Dave. 
No. Happy birthday, Chris Claremont. Oh, okay. It is actually his birthday. Uh, and he brought us such wonderful comics as Uncanny X-Men 117 and Uncanny X-Men 123 to 128. What was Thank your you, favorite of of the bundle here? Ooh. Um, 117 is like a real nice tight little one shot. Yeah. Of a comic that like holds together really well. But uh, I think 125 through 128 is like starting to become the like Chris Claremont run that I'm like, okay, this is this is the good stuff. Yeah. Like, so I, is, I think is 117 is one of the best standalone single issues you can pull out to a degree. So let's start there. Um, sure. Obviously yep. at the beginning. Oh, so, and also just I just need to mention f- you for skipping 120 and 121 Alpha Flight <laughs> debut. <laughs> Because I, I did mention didn't... in the notes that Alpha Flight does debut yeah, thank in you. issues number 120 it, and 121, uh, and also, then I very what? purposefully yeah. skipped them. No, okay, 123 and 124 absolutely couldn't be more. I like, knew essential than Alpha Flight. Like I knew you would prefer Alpha machine. Flight to Arcade. I had zero doubt about that. Yeah, of course I do because we literally just read the same exact setup with. Okay. Okay, sorry, we're going to talk about those, and I'm going to yes. tell you why they're here and what okay. they have that okay. Alpha Flight okay. doesn't, okay? But first, in issue Good 117, we get uh, we get the best Professor X backstory that we've ever seen. Oh, so, you mean him being paralyzed by an alien named Lucifer? Which they <laughs> reference, which they do I reference. Um, but no, that is not the best. The best here is, so he's in the wake of Magneto Triumphant, which we read recently, Professor X thinks the X-Men are dead. And he is quite clearly depressed. He is quite clearly downtrodden. And he basically decides, like, at first he's like, I got to stay here and help, uh, blah, blah, blah. And Lalandra, who's still on Earth, she, our empress, is like, actually, you should come to space with me. And Professor X is like, you know what? Fine. I got nothing going here. Let's go to space, which is a recurring thing for Professor X. He will frequently go to space when the going gets rough. Um, (laughs) Really? I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So, but this, he's kind of reflecting back on one of his first encounters with mutant kind in his earlier days. And I believe it's right in the wake of Myra McTaggart telling him him. that she will not marry him, right? Yep. She leaves. He's in the Vietnam War. She sends him a Dear John letter. And goes back to Moir Island. Is it Moir Island? Moir, Moir Island is what it is. <laughs> oh, Charles. You're the only friend I ever had. Oh, this is... Because I'm going to forget to bring it up later. But uh, Moira is pretty competent with a sniper rifle we see in one of these issues, which is surprisingly relevant in X-Men 2019. So definitely the chunk that we're reading today is is something that I referenced heavily in uh, in Comic Book Herald YouTube videos talking about my girl, Myra McTaggart. Oh, that's so funny because besides that, besides the fact that she has a sniper rifle, I thought none of this leads into anything to do with Oh, uh, man, Hux there's Pox. a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. I was just like, oh, okay, so they just kind of uh, ignored all this for uh, Hawks yeah. huh? Yeah, we're not, I don't want to say no, any more than that. No, if no, you're, we're not. If you're we're reading not. both simultaneously, if you're reading current X-Men and you want to hear more about that, go on over to Comic Book Herald. Um, if you're not, we're not going to say more about Stop plugging it. your website. This is a, this is a <laughs> Through my year. podcast? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get right on that. <laughs> um, anyway, this is, uh, yeah, so there's some great Mara stuff, but Professor X downtrodden again because Mara just left him. He's kind of going on a, uh, he's going on like the post-college, I'm going to travel Europe tour. He's going you on know, a walkabout, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, and while in Egypt, I want to say, he encounters Ooh, a right. young mutant thief which is clearly a young storm, right? And yes, in the yes. process well, I mean, of encountering what, what her... What other, like, 
young black woman has insane cat eyes. Like and, literally and very these, white these... hair. Yeah, right. Because I mean, yeah. oh, God, I, I can't wait till they stop giving Storm. Like it's a little less pronounced now, but those like really wild cat eyes. I don't know Her why. Her eyes are those. of a distasteful to you. I haven't really noticed this. Her eyes are like like 45 degree angles pointing up, you know, like the corners of her eyes. Okay. Yeah. You have not noticed? What are you talking about? I, I can kind of picture what you're saying. It just hasn't been a major takeaway for me. I don't think they're trying to do some kind of like racial thing. I think they're just trying to make her like beautiful and exotic. And so she's just got these like huge jewel like eyes, but it makes her look kind of weird and like a cat alien. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess. Uh, yeah. So. So Xavier runs into, he like senses a psychic presence and goes into this cafe where he runs into Amal Farouk, I guess Amal. apparently aka Shadow King. Yeah, I guess that uh, doesn't come up here. No, they um, don't mention that. They just mention his name, Amal Farouk. Yeah, he's a very uh, but, powerful but psychic. He's kind of running a criminal empire of thieves here in Egypt. Yep. And he is, according to Charlie, the first truly evil mutant he ever encountered, which is a pretty cool frame work for yeah, you know yeah, yeah, professor sure. x i think um unlike lucifer amal farouk is pretty pretty quickly identifiable as like a sort of personality and villain archetype that we can that we can see professor x fighting the fight that they have is a battle of the mind standoff so they're like both sitting at separate tables a few tables away in some sort of small kind of diner thing and uh they have a yeah, battle a on the astral plane yep. <laughs> That's what they call them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What'd you call yeah, them? A cafe. Cafe, fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you mentioned a while ago when we had a, um, we talked about a Doctor Strange, Baron Mordo, Battle of the Mind thing yeah. back in like Ditko Strange era. Sure. That you were like pretty mixed on these, I think. Battle of the Minds? Yeah, where like two people just stand and stare at each other. I hope <laughs> I'm on the tough. record as praising the Thanos vs. Drax Battle of the Minds. I don't think you mentioned that. Um, How dare you? No, I think everyone that we've seen, you've actually liked so far. But uh, yeah, this is pretty cool because they like completely leave their physical bodies and they just live in this weird mind space fighting each other through these avatars. Right. And, and like they, they like Professor X develops armor on the astral plane, which is a huge, a huge thing that I love. Like when because the idea of Professor X as a crippled, um, you know, like mutant on earth but then going on the astral plane and being this like roman warrior you know like uh like russell crowe and gladiator that's that's awesome i love that he puts on the gladiatorial helmet and has a sword and he's fighting well, I mean, the his opponent out of too. will be shadow right. king and his opponent is this like big corpulent man right and then like he's his, a big dude his uh you know shadow self is this like kind of rough muscly intimidating figure who also like yeah. straps up all this big evil armor yeah and and visually it is sold to me like the astral plane being this dimension where these sorts of things can happen in the art by john byrne with things by terry austin like yeah. i am in, i am immediately like oh this is this is what psychic warfare will should and will look like i mean basically for john the future Burns of x-men a lot of good work here here and with uh proteus later on with like big psychic war stuff where like it still feels grounded you know like yeah yeah these are my f this is my favorite burn austin x-men year that we've read so far i think the stuff yes. that they're doing here is definitely the most compelling um and this issue it's and professor x ultimately does triumph although not easily over omu farouk there's this really cool scene where the, the like they cut away from the battle they go back to the the diner and you've got professor x and farouk staring each other down at tables three panels 
Two yep. of Farouk sitting upright, and then the third just face so, down, down, right? To the and and yeah. clearly Professor X has won. It's it's a really nice visual display, and, he, and it's a nice showing con- of like this battle. You know what's confusing is he drops dead right then, and they never call him Shadow King. So it's interesting that like we must revisit this later, this one scene, and mm-hmm. they call him Shadow King then because he's dead. So uh, yeah, interesting that he gets a cool nickname after he dies. I hope that when I die, I get a very cool nickname. Uh, Yeah, I'll get. I'll give Zach. That's on you. You need to do that for me. Put me in charge of that, please. (laughs) Oh no! All right, MMY Club, please uh, take over that instead of Zach. Oh yes, please, please, dark baby. No, genuinely, let's crowdsource that to the uh, the MMY Club. (laughs) If if the MMY Club showed up at my funeral (laughs) with with just lists of potential nicknames, I would be ecstatic. Just I'd also be gone and. Your gravestone no is just going to be currently I'm Big Bertha abusing. Big Bertha, that's great. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, okay, what was I going to say? Oh, Shadow King's the uh the the big creepy guy from Legion too. Oh, I boy. just googled him. Oh boy, watching you put this together is something. Oh man, something. I never I never got past season one of that show, which I really need to. You know, uh, but that season I've two is kind of work. It's kind of some work. I've heard. Um, you gotta yeah. you gotta invest some time. Did you I watch season say. three? I heard it. I haven't. No, I haven't been able to finish season two yet. I'm still trying. I've been trying for like six months. <laughs> I don't even it dislike just, it. it. I'm just like it's very slow for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So after this, we read two issues of Murder World and Arcade, which are Woo! very similar to the Spider-Man. Are you excited? The Spider-Man Two and One with Captain Britain. Yeah, where, I like, love Literally, arcade. it starts out the same way with. Him grabbing up X Men using his uh his big dump truck, and I do love there's a that scene where, is like, hilarious. Yeah, uh, Spider Man runs into uh Cyclops and who is it? Colleen is it Wing or Col- Misty? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, friends, something. right? From you know, yeah. from Iron Fist. I think it's Colleen. Um, he runs. Oh, into he's because da- then... Cyclops is dating Colleen because he thinks Jean died, so he's like, "Hey, Colleen, want to go on a date?" <laughs> And I literally feel nothing about the death of my girlfriend. Do you want to? No one now? moves on faster <laughs> than Cyclops. Yeah. Um. So Spider Man like swings down and is like, "Oh, hey, how's it going? All right, bye." And like swings away. They get grabbed up by the dump truck, and the sound effect is a big like schlunk. Yeah. Something like that. And then Spider Man like a couple blocks away is like, "I'd know that schlunk anywhere." <laughs> it's a very good joke. Yeah. I do uh, but love then, that. Does he even do anything? He doesn't help them. It's not like he no, because he's like, up, oh, nothing oh, no, here. He ca- Guess I'll go no, on my he way. Does. He calls because eventually he calls the expansion. Oh, and Arcade right. is there, and he picks up the phone. You're right. I, I take back my criticism, Peter. You did. You tried. Um, yeah. So Arcade is going about capturing all of the X Men to bring to Myrtle World. He is doing so with Miss Locke, his assassin sidekick. Arcade's deal, as we talked about in Marvel Team Up, is he creates a Murder World, which is an amusement park of assassination it is a goofy yet very fun concept that gets uh i would say utilized to almost maximum effect here there's one version that is potential potentially like actually i can think of like two two versions that are like an upgrade um but this is like probably the most fun arcade story that we're going to see arcade splits up the x-men I feel like that is very damning with faint praise. Like, if this is the most fun these two good issues gets, are the best arcade story. I, you know what? I don't. I think these are better. Oh, the, actually, uh, maybe Marvel not, because he's going to team up with Doctor Doom later. That sounds terrible. That oh, it's sounds good. Awful. It's real okay. Good. So, the I was trying to get on board with this, you know, and this looks but great. Actually, I, I and you could. I just want to talk about this for a second. John Byrne and uh, who's the inker here? Um, Terry Austin, probably. Yeah, yeah. 
are doing like excellent work. Like John Byrne is at the top of his game so far that we've seen. It is so clean. Like this art is so clean and so precise. And like these layouts, I like it is intricate and detailed and never messy. That is yeah. like what I, he just feels so confident. Like, I don't think we've ever read a, conf- a comic that where the art just feels like so solid and so confident in what it's doing. You know, like it is, it, it's really great stuff. Um, And especially like the design work, you know, like the X-Men have never looked more iconic. Like these costumes, it, it has shifted. Like they're the same costumes we've been seeing, but something about the way he draws them just makes it look like, okay, this is like, I don't know. It, it just feels like classic in all the best ways. I don't know how else to put it. This is X-Men. Like when you when you yeah. think about, yeah, yeah. okay, when were X-Men the most popular, you're thinking about, them in these costumes and them in these in these situations. But I like, if I went and looked at the giant size X Men, for whatever reason, the art just doesn't like. It feels like okay, not quite this there is... yet. Yeah, I like right. I like Dave Cocker more than changed. you do, definitely. But I mean, yeah. uh, once we get here with Burn and Austin in stride, they've been doing this for a couple of years now. Like this stuff looks great, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's I mean, a con- people, yeah, people the, the confidence like... is a good way to sell it. And like next year is going to be probably their tightest year, I think ever. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And and it's like yeah, well, you can you can tell we're building up to that. Like it's clear in their ability to to tell even a goofy arcade story and have it be compelling and engaging and interesting and kinetic. And so sure. the arcade story, like you're saying, obviously, I think a lot of the reasons you're probably down on it is it is relatively inconsequential. Um, it is a it's a you know it's like there's not a lot that it's building to necessarily. The best it's, thing that happens no, in the it's, entire it's not that I just no, I don't want to step in. It's it's not quite that. It's that I don't think this is particularly interesting once you get past like he's playing a game with them. Yeah. Like because it's like they're in a pinball machine, which we've seen before. That's kind uh-huh. of fun. And then he sets them all into their own little e- different fates, right? Like he has set up a different game for each of them. Yeah. And I was like still like on board. Like I, I'm genuinely like, I don't want to just be down on this because I like don't like arcade. Like I'm going to give this a real shot and try to engage with this. And I feel like the the little fates that arcade has set up for each of them, pretty dull, honestly. Like, Well, I Cyclops think the problem is there is the only people who get really good setups are Colossus and Storm. Oh, I thought Colossus and Wolverine. And Wolverine's isn't even that good, but it looks visually cool. Well, Wolverine breaks out of his pretty... So Wolverine's in like a hall of mirrors where the mirrors then actually build robots of other Wolverines that attack him, that which is actually a like pretty distorted. cool concept. Yeah, I mean, the, the distorted Wolverines just look cool and having them come out of the mirrors sure. is a cool image. Sure. Yes, let's, let's focus on Colossus. Colossus, Colossus is the absolute star of this and <sighs> um, one of the funniest one of the so, funniest bits of Uncanny X-Men so Colossus, it, that Claremont will write. <laughs> Colossus gets like strapped to a chair and uh, and this Russian KGB agent comes in and he just plays like 15 minutes of Chapo Trap House for him. And Colossus <laughs> is completely radicalized and comes yeah. out as the proletariat. Yeah. And it's just incredible stuff. No, he like, he basically is like, you're a traitor to your country, Mother Russia. You know, you've let Mother Russia down. And we get like two, maybe three panels. I don't remember. It's not much. No. Of seeing that Colossus is being like scolded by a supposed KGB agent, which yeah. is like, is Colossus the biggest dummy that we've ever seen? Because like he's just he goes from being like, I'm in a pinball machine, I'm rolling around a pinball to like, oh my god, a KGB agent here? He's mad at me? And then he like, because they, they don't. It say does that seem he gets like it seems like there should have been some chemical arcade injected with right, him exactly. with or something yeah, that makes him they don't susceptible say to this. It just, he's just like, 
oh man, I have betrayed Russia. This all seems above board. This so you know, like good faith arguments. You know, like in game <laughs> theory, when when they're like, um, hey, your friends in the other room. And uh, and he just ratted you out. If your friend's yeah. Colossus, he did. I don't care how long it's been. <laughs> it, it doesn't yeah, that's take the, long. The, like the the addendum to the prisoner's dilemma is as long as it's not Colossus in the other room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he after this, he bursts through with a a new costume on. With it's Lenin, right? Like he's got Lenin on his chest. And the, his new uh, costume is the stuff of dreams. It is. It's the stuff delicious. of Lenin. It's the stuff of Lenin. Uh, yeah, it's like um, it's like a Mario bread suspenders yes. and red oh, hat. Oh yes, yes, yes. Like if you made Colossus Mario but painted a hammer and sickle and Lenin on the front, that's what he's wearing. <laughs> it's it's so amazing. And he's calling himself the proletariat, and he wants to kill the X Men for making him betray Russia. Everything is, about it is is delightful. It's absurd, uh, but it is at least it's weird and funny in a way that like because I kind of was reading this, being like, okay, it's arcade. I want each of these things to be like genuinely wacky in like big. It should be more specific ways. too. Yes, exactly. Because I mean, okay, um, Cyclops is is that he's in a room with three doors, and the wall is about to crush him. And behind each three doors, it's concrete. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Okay, cool. I mean, and then he just blasts the wall and gets out. That's that's it. It's very supervillain one on one. Not arcade's best work. Yeah, and Banshee's like in a room that looks like it's simulating World War Two or something. Banshee's most interesting here because he he can't scream right now. Like his vocal yeah. cords are shot, so he yeah, can yeah. hardly do anything. So like every situation he's in is kind of interesting because he's. Just, just like, <laughs> just yeah, he's just a guy going on his training. Um, I think Storms is probably the most specific in that she's in, you know, she has a, she has claustrophobia and she's like in a room with like water closing in on her, you know, so like she's at fear of drowning the entire time. Um, but I, yeah, otherwise, I do think the traps could be a little bit better. Aside from Colossus busting as the proletariat, these two issues are not the biggest deal, but they are they're one of the few examples actually for a while of like uncanny x-men kind of just having fun again yeah because yeah, it's yeah. about to go into like sagas you know we're about yes, to go into yes, like yes. hey we got long-running stuff a coming and, and they're uh, all weaving it's in nice to have a breather. like i mean the one of the interesting things about claremont is that like you can see that like okay this these issues the focus is whatever proteus the focus is phoenix the focus is whatever yeah but like those stories are also going to have like tales in the issues that came before and after them Right. Mm -hmm. So like the Proteus stuff we've already seen, I I think like two years ago, we saw a hint about Mutant X. Mutant X like in we, his, his cell got, in uh, Moira's Muir Island yeah, yeah. facility. We got a shot of that. The, the, the Phoenix Saga stuff is being introduced heavily here. Right? right. Like it is clearly not the story happening, but it is all over the story. So like and then, you know, we're getting a little bit of. Wolverine is dating this Japanese woman. That's going to come into play in a big way. Like mm -hmm. he's falling head over heels for this Japanese woman whose name I can't remember right now. Mariko. Um, who, Mariko. Mariko. Yeah. Uh, are you doing a Japanese woman impression? <laughs> I mean, I just I was trying to pronounce it like somewhat accurately. <laughs> I don't even know if that's right. Um, yeah, I think Mariko. Um, what else is going on? I mean, we're you're seeing that the X Men still think like half the X Men think the other half is dead still. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there's Professor a weird there's a weird length to that up until I think finally once we get into like the Proteus saga, you know, yeah. we finally start yeah, yeah. to connect the dots because they all are in the same place again finally. Um so after the arcade saga, everyone more or less like everyone comes to the Mirror Island research facility. Um the X-Men do so because they get a call from Lorna Dane. Actually, have Lorna and Havoc are out there 
and they get a call like in the midst of what we learn is one of the first Proteus has escaped attacks that happens on the Mir Island research facility, and yeah. then the rest of the saga is the X Men trying to contain. <laughs> well, it actually Proteus. happens because Beast walks in the front door, who everyone thought was dead, of the X Mansion. Oh yeah, everyone's he comes like, first. Beast, yeah. you're alive, and he's like, Yeah, Jean's on Mir Island, and they're like, What? Why didn't she call? <laughs> like, no one explains why Jean never tried to call the X Mansion. <laughs> like, there's they've been home long enough that it's really weird they don't know. Oh, I guess she just left alive. the X Mansion. I don't know. It's all very like everyone. She left just to clear her head. Professor X is gone, and then obviously Beast isn't there. So the X Mansion, yeah. I guess, as far as we know at this point, is like dead empty until the yeah, exactly. X Men come back. Well, until Arcade shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so th- that's happening. The the other let's talk about all the little side plots happening because the the big side thing that's going on is Jean Grey as Phoenix is becoming like I think she's coming into her own as far as like what we know her powers are going to be. Yeah, uh, like Moira studies her and is like her powers are unbelievable. She's almost godlike. Professor X goes through the records of what happened with that whole like Shi'ar ultimate weapon nullifier garbage. Um, this is the thing. It's cooler now when Professor X talks about it now than it was when it happened. That whole, like, Dark Phoenix thing or the Phoenix Saga or whatever. Yeah, right. Because he talks about it like the galaxy was unspooling itself like the fabric of the galaxy was... Oh, oh, you're, yeah, yeah. So he's, so he's like, going through Shi'ar files because Lalandra is just, like, carting him around a Shi'ar party. <laughs> and he yeah, feels right. like a trophy <laughs> yeah. wife. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> yes. and he goes, he's like, oh, let me read these files. And he's then he's like, basically, he reads the original Phoenix Saga. And he's like, oh, wait, Gene went into the Emkron crystal and displayed this much power? That's crazy. I got to get back to Earth. You know, it's exactly. weird they didn't the, know that. But they sell it. They sell, they sell it as a more monumental event now than they ever did in the moment, to me, at least. Oh, like, I don't agree that, with that. Like her power, because he like is blown away. Like he just sits there completely in awe of like what she did because he didn't realize how big of a deal it is. Because I guess like, I guess they're realizing what it means for her to have this power. Like we have Myra literally testing her, and we have Professor X apparently looking into it for the first time, which is yeah. bizarre to me. Yeah, and we get these cool shots where like Jean is starting to flaunt her powers a little bit. She's having fun with it. Like she she's gets this really it. cool set of panels where she does a, a pirouette across the room, and every time she spins, she changes outfits. Like she just yeah. is instantly changing her clothes every half second because yeah. it, it's completely effortless to her yeah that stuff's cool she's also she's also having like these visions so Jean keeps having this thing where like all of a sudden she's in a very like Victorian England 18th uh, century yeah 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 like sort of romantic almost like romance novel fantasy where with this individual named Jason Wingard and Who we're seeing she, like actually exists in this day and, yeah like, yeah so like we we're seeing that like this is a real person and he's doing something to Jean here where she's having these very short, at this point, spurts of of like some like alternate life. And obviously that yeah. is clearly building yeah, yeah. towards something big. And it's really interesting. Like it's so weird and jarring, right? Like it's so it's so specific in a way that like it feels the pacing really isn't super right? jarring like, though. I actually to credit to credit the creative team, like when they happen, I'm never like, wait, where am I? No, is no, no. I don't sequence? I don't mean that. I mean just in that like I guess Chris Claremont is selling something that doesn't feel like we've seen it a million times before. Yeah. Right? Like, in the way he, he just feels confident, like, snapping, like, in and out of these weird little vignettes with it. Like, she literally, you'll see her flying down a corridor. She turns the corner, and then she is in at a, you know, at a fancy dress ball. Dress ball? That's, that's right. what they're called, a dress ball. Um, oh, I love dress balls. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and I mean, it helps that, like, Jean is like, wait, what? 
what's happening like she, she's but, still you know, perplexed by it she's not just like rolling with it um but then she starts to like slowly she's confused where she is but partially her confusion is is as as if she belongs there right she's like you know she knows the name of her horse she like kind of understands her place in that alternate reality so it's this kind of like is she just seeing things? Is this being manipulated? Is she being taken back in time? Like, it, it's very right. interesting. It's being, like, it's a good mystery because it's just enough to make you intrigued. And it's just specific enough. Um, and, I mean, and some of them are really jarring. So she she finds herself on what seems to be a fox hunt. And then Jason Wingard is there and he's like, oh, this was a wonderful idea you had, my love. Instead of hunting deer, we'd hunt a man. Would you care to, you know, do the coup de gras? And, like, hands her a knife. And there's a naked man with, like, deer antlers strapped to his head laying on yeah. the ground. And it's a really like, I don't know, it's very upsetting. It's very, uh, it's a creepy, creepy imagery. And then she snaps out of it. Right. You know, so it, yeah, it's very nightmarish. That is not the main story. Like, despite <laughs> despite how, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like any other comic would not have the confidence to do these weird little things in half a panel or one panel or half a page, half a page or one page at a time, you know, like, and just drop these little hints. Like, mm-hmm. this would have to be the story, you know? Like, Claremont is just so good because he's okay being like, yeah, it's fine that you don't know what's going on and you won't for six months, you know? Like, I'm just going to lead you along. It, you know, it, it honestly reminds me of what Hickman's doing with X-Men now. Like... I feel like there's a lot of that where it's just like you feel like you are comfortable in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing and knows you know, where like, they're going. I, exactly, I do think like, too. And I think like with Claremont, we have the 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 knowledge retroactively of like this runs going to go an insane amount of time. But I do think even in the moment, he's clearly planning for it. You know, he's cl- and like I, you know, we said way up front, like remember the names of of everyone that gets introduced because they might get pulled back in some sort of interesting story. I do think that sort of long term planning is is one of the most appreciated skills that like a comics creator can have. Fans tend to love that. I tend to love that oh, it's personally. Super fun, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fun it's when really it doesn't cool. feel uh, it doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel like it's trying to be the point. Like he's also telling excellent stories with it, right? So, it's like, not at the expense of. It's not all like oh, just wait. Oh, just keep reading, and then this will get good. It's like, no, we have a really cool story to tell you in the meantime, but like also we're gonna seed in these things that are gonna be really cool in like three years. And and I mean it's also affecting the character in the moment, right? Like Jean Grey right. her powers are strange and upsetting to the other characters, and everyone else is a little suspicious of her while she, we're also seeing that maybe she's losing her mind a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, like it, yeah, it's very good. So Proteus, talk about Proteus. He is Mutant X has been revealed. He is yes. Proteus. So Proteus is this character that Myra has been sort of keeping under lock and key. And obviously it's like basically like, okay, Miralon's a research facility, but apparently also functioning as something of a prison because it's kept Mutant X and previously Magneto. And Proteus gets out and basically he subsumes the life of of anyone he comes into contact with and then like inhabits their body, you know? So he's a little body snatcher. Yeah. And he can also, as we learn, once he comes into conflict with the X-Men, warp reality is his power set. So he is like an Omega-level reality warper. Um, He really, really messes up the X-Men when they try to take him down, especially Wolverine. There's a nice thread through these issues of Wolverine being scared, I think, probably for the first time that we've seen we've seen him mad we've seen him hurt we've seen him emotionally distraught over Jean Grey I don't know that we've seen him scared like this before where Proteus turns his world upside down and he keeps talking about this like sick feeling in his guts like he throws off his sense 
his senses, which are like one of his most defining characteristics and abilities. He's such we a physical also, guy, you know, like that. That's right. He's like so grounded in a physicality as opposed to other X Men. Like he doesn't have external powers, right? It's his muscles, and it's his sense of smell, and it's his claws, and it's his strength, right? Like, and for him to have a kind of you know lack of mental control, I think it's totally unsettling to him. And what after this attack where Proteus kind of flips his world upside down, Wolverine is all shaken up and like literally shaken up like he might he's having a hard time recovering. And Mm -hmm. Cyclops like this is a fun scene. Cyclops decides that to snap him out of it. He's like, you're either faking it or you're not fit for duty. And he like gets in his face and kind of calls him a coward and like which is, you know, to be fair, Chris Claremont like really understood what you do with a PTS uh, like victim or PTS PTSD victim right like if somebody is you know shaken up from like war or traumatic event you do say that they are faking it or uh you know like call them a coward and that does usually shake them out of it yeah preferably from someone that is generally um you know kind of a kind of a enemy at work um so wolverine does ultimately come out <laughs> you of it you give me nothing for my like <laughs> you i like almost feel like you just agreed with what i said yeah yeah Right. Okay. Just good advice. Um, so the Proteus, the other big thing we learn is he is the son of Moira McTaggart. And this whole, it's the best Myra issues we've gotten so far, I think by far. I think they're yep. completely fascinating in retrospect. We learn that Myra and her ex-husband, Joseph McTaggart, or oh, at no, least husband, estranged, husband. estranged yeah. husband, they're not actually divorced, um, had this son. He's Kevin McTaggart, is Proteus. And Myra has kept her own son in the Muir Island Research Facility because she can't really figure out, like, how to help him uh, interact with humanity without, like, needing to kill people, without needing to, you know, like, take over their bodies in order to have one of his own. Uh, Myra is fully prepared, as you mentioned, to snipe her boy. Like, she, you know, she's displaying, like, a militant attitude towards Proteus, saying, like, he is a danger to everyone. I will take him out before I let that happen. It's Kind of, I don't know that she's, we, we get to see some of the emotion behind it, I think, as the story progresses, but definitely she's more like, big picture, I just don't want him killing other people. Um, Cyclops, it puts a lot of emotional heft on Myra. And Cyclops tries to stop her, which is like, Proteus is actively killing people, and because you didn't let her do this, he kills a few more people. Yeah. Like, and it does kind of come down to that thing of like, this is, you know, because he's like, we're going to try to capture him. And it's like, Moira's like, no, you won't be able to. And they, they aren't able to. They kill him in the end. You know, like, it does feel like Cyclops is being naive and stopping Moira from, like, making the hard decision that is probably the correct one. You know, like. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, that tug and pull, though, because that, that's a no, big no, I think, I think that's superhero fine. thing. Because it, it doesn't, it's not playing into, uh, it doesn't clearly, it doesn't clearly frame Cyclops as being, like, you know, the good, honorable hero, as opposed to Moira, who is, you know, making the wrong decision. Right. Like, because like I said, what he did, like a, a child gets killed, like Proteus, his next victim is like a teenage girl. Yeah. Right. Like, and then Moira's ex-husband, right? Like he, Proteus goes yeah. and kills ex-husband. Yeah. Husband. Like Moira or Proteus goes and kills those two people because Cyclops stopped her. Yeah. And there's a, so the final host that Proteus takes over is Joseph McTaggart, who is Myra's dirtbag husband. Um, we, we learn in these pages that he was abusive towards Myra. Um, she, shows up and kind of tells him what's happening and also brings a gun in order to be like, no, you're not going to mess with me ever again. So there's obviously like a ton of animosity there. Proteus does take over Joseph, well, they, they, which couldn't have happened uh, to a nicer guy. I don't, I don't know if like I'm 
seeing it here, but they did, like, Proteus does talk about, like, that he was created in an evil act or something, which, like, kind of suggests, like, some kind of, I don't know, some nasty history between Moira and her husband, right? Like, yeah. it almost suggests that, like, you know, he was the child of an assault, something like that, like, because I don't know what else he would be talking about. So the thing is, like, it, Proteus inhabits his father's body. He, like, finds his father, he meets his father for the first time. When he inhabits his body, he gets all of his memories, and he keeps talking about this. And I feel like this is Chris Claremont playing in some, like, very strange and very, like, Oedipal territory, but not too explicitly. Like, I don't think he's underlining this, but I don't think it's hard to see that, like, Proteus keeps talking about, like, I know everything that my father knows. I have all of his memories. Like, I know everything about you. I remember everything about you, like, through my father's point of view, which is... Uh I, I wouldn't want that memory of my mother through my dad's point of view. Right. Thank you right. very much. Um, and then he keeps talking about how, like, he now owns Moira and, like, she's his. And, like, there's a very strange, like, weird... Yeah, I don't think... Did you get this at all? Like, this kind of strange thing where he's, like, possessive of his mother in, like, maybe a romantic or sexual way? No. I see what you're saying, though. I, I don't think that's because, a well, wildly off-base read. His end goal was, like... To get his father's body and then to, like, because he keeps talking about, like, you are mine now. You won't like the alternative to Moira. And it's like, I don't know what else he means. Like, right. It is it is vague. And actually, I would say remains somewhat open-ended. I, I'd be curious to explore maybe in a little more depth what that what he's actually going for there. Like, the, especially the, the claim of ownership there. It's like, well, based on what? Based on what? Because it, it, the implication is like, well, you won't hurt me in this body. That's not true. Right, like nobody, yeah. nobody really cares about Joseph. Um, how does he own her? And I, I do think that is a question I don't know the answer to. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's like there feels like there could be a lot there to to dig into, and I, I don't know if it's like comic code or Claremont not actually wanting to dig into anything like that because this is ultimately yeah. a superhero comic, and that's some pretty dark stuff. But it does feel like he's dancing around some like I don't know. I don't know, you know, some pretty dark themes here. Yeah, yeah, I'm not totally sure what Proteus is going for. Either way, the battle ultimately ends with, uh, it turns oh, out oh, right. that Colossus no, wait, is so, did the, you mention the Proteus killer. To metal? No, so Pro- Colossus yeah, transforms important. into his metal state and shoves his metal fists uh, into Proteus, no, and no, uh, wait, turns no, out no, that's no, the no. way to get him. No, uh, Proteus, Proteus possesses Colossus's body when, when he's a human, and then Colossus transforms into a metal man. Huh. <laughs> Let's just skim those pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's completely different. Okay. I usually don't correct like little stuff, but that, that's it's a hugely different thing. Well, write into my marvelous year at gmail.com. Yeah, maybe Colossus, it's maybe it's uh, open for interpretation. Let, that'll yeah. be the poll for nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, just yeah. Something How did you interpret clearly... those very <laughs> explicit scenes? <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, these yeah, comics I, are great. These comics are they, really, really good. Yeah, because I mean I, I've, I've been them. like I've been batted around a little bit in the slack for uh for like not immediately for bad taste. falling for the uh the, the cult of Claremont here. And I, I feel totally justified in saying that like Claremont wasn't great before. He was fine, he was good, he had some good ideas, but it like did not to come together, and I think this is the beginning of like this is the Claremont that is excellent, and I have no qualms about saying like this is great stuff and like everything is just firing on all cylinders. He's bringing something brand new to Marvel comics period. That we yeah. I, I disagree before. that it takes as long as you're saying it does, but it's definitely progressing and getting better as he goes, uh, yeah. which is, which yeah, is yeah. exciting to see. Sure. Um, yeah. Good, good year of comics. Uh, a lot of, I mean, besides between this and daredevil, like some of the better 
comics that it's just like I could recommend these to a modern reader real easy, right? Yeah. Which is like even with the like the Starlin stuff, Panther's Rage, which we loved, like it still is like okay, you still have to have somewhat of a tolerance for a slightly older style of comic. As much as I love those, mm-hmm. but these. Like, especially Daredevil. I feel like I could put those Frank Miller Daredevil comics, like, in anyone's hands who's interested in superhero comics, and, and they would be, like, immediately engaging. Hmm. Yeah, next next episode, 79 Part 2, we're going to be talking about uh, a few interesting arcs, including one of the bigger Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver stories to be told. We're going to talk oh, cool. some Iron Man oh, demon oh, in a bottle. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> and we're going to talk John Byrne on Fantastic Four. God, so, that's Scarlet Witch. In addition Witch. to a couple more. That Scarlet Witch Quicksilver story has one of the most incredible jaw-dropping final pages of any comic we've ever read. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, definitely, definitely up there. Scott Lang, huh? Which is... Yeah, yeah. Debut of Scott Lang coming in part two. So stick with us. We'll be back for 1979 part two. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review to good old My Marvelous Year. Thank you, Disasterpiece Music for on the Apple show. Podcasts. You have to tell them where Disasterpiece is on Apple Podcasts. That no, seems like no, a weird no. place to have music. You said just rate and review. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please. Rate and review anywhere. If you just write down on a post-it note, like, "Hey, oh my model's here, five stars." I appreciate that. I appreciate how many, it. Man. How many times have we been through this joke, Dave? It gets funnier every time. Obviously, everyone agrees. That's true. Yeah. No, you're just you're just working on your set here. <laughs> yeah. Like right. No, this is all just stage. like yeah. practice, really. Yeah. Um, for the for the inevitable debut of the My Marvelous Year One Man Show, capitalized one. <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> yeah, please. Anything else you want to plug? Quick. No, no, it's good. Good. Okay, I'm Dave. You gonna do your part? I, I'm Zach. I guess this is how we end the show now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next year. See you next year. Uh-huh.